from Madison, Wisconsin in the United States of Global Hegemony, it's Didactic Syncast, with your host Eric P. Hello Earthlings and welcome to the Didactic Syncast, your weekly overview of everything important on the planet Earth. I'm Eric S. Piotrowski, a.k.a. Duke Scath in the world of video games, a.k.a. Scartol in the world of Wikipedia. Each week I bring you a range of news stories, historical and literary perspectives, and my opinions on topics like current events, war, human rights, economics, education, hip-hop music, and killer robots. So buckle up and let's get started. Now, regular listeners to the show have probably noticed a name change. Deviant Syncast, you know, the word deviant just didn't fit anymore, if it ever did. Didactic, which means inclined to teach or lecture others too much, <laughs> that's much more fitting, isn't it? That just, uh, like a glove! Like on uh, Ace Ventura, like a glove! <laughs> uh, anyway, that just fits my blog and my podcast better, so that's what it is, alright? It feels weird to me too, but it's always weird to change things. Deal with it! Um, let's do some current events, shall we? Alright, what's going on in the world? Oh, so much stuff is going on in the world. First things first, I want to talk about Katrina. Uh, that, as you probably know, is a big hurricane in New Orleans. People killed. U.S. government screwed up royally. One of the stories that didn't get much play, except on uh, the PBS Frontline show, they did a show about this, and uh, I've heard about it in various places, but it hasn't gotten a whole lot of press. There were these. Uh, there was this guy who got shot um, by, oh, I had the news article right in front of me, but anyway, there was this man who was found, uh, yeah, 17-year-old James Brissett was killed uh, on a bridge after New or- after Katrina ran through New Orleans and the levees broke and all that chaos and mayhem. Uh, there, there was this guy who uh, his family, uh, he got hurt, and they tried to take him to the police station. The police assumed that he had been involved in some criminal behavior they took him into their car they beat him up it was crazy and then they killed him on this bridge and now they've been sentenced the police officers just recently uh got sentenced on the 5th of april so last week thursday um the these police officers got sentenced uh, five former this is from the bbc five former new orleans police officers who shot six unarmed civilians two fatally in the wake of hurricane katrina have been jailed the prison terms range from 6 to 65 years after the shootings on the Danziger Bridge in September 2005. Uh, four of the officers were found guilty of firearms offenses. The fifth was jailed for helping the cover-up. And like I said, there's a really good frontline thing about this. I'm pretty sure Spike Lee talked about it in his one of his documentaries. Uh, he's made two really good ones. One's called When the Levees Broke, and then the other one's called... Uh, it, it's a long title. It's something like If uh, Heaven Don't Mind, The Water Don't Rise, or something like that. Uh, they're both very powerful films, and I gave Spike a hard time when he shouted out fake Zimmerman's address, causing that woman to have crazy heart problems. Anyway, uh, he's, he knows how to make a good movie. So, uh, yeah, those two are good. Not all his movies are good, don't get me wrong. Uh, some are gooder than others. But, anyway. All right, uh, so that's that. Uh, speaking of police brutality, well, we weren't, but let's talk about it, shall we? Uh, Trayvon Martin, there's been a little bit of news. Uh, I told you recently that the uh, New Black Panther Party has put a bounty on Zimmerman's head, dead or alive, uh, $10,000. Well, who would have thought that that would bring an angry, violent reaction? I guess it hasn't been a violent reaction yet, but it has been an angry and armed reaction from a neo-Nazi group. Uh, Miami New Times has a blog post that says, armed neo-Nazis now claiming to be patrolling Sanford say they are, quote, prepared for post-Traven Martin violence. So... Uh, yeah, this is not a promising development. First uh, paragraph, neo-Nazis say they are conducting heavily armed patrols in and around Sanford, Florida, and are, quote, prepared for violence in case of a race riot. The patrols are to protect white citizens in the area who are concerned for their safety in the wake of the Trayvon Martin shooting last month, says Commander Jeff Shoup of the National Socialist Movement. We are not advocating any type of violence or attacks on anybody, but we are prepared for it, he says. We are not the type of white people who are going to be walked all over. So it's good to know that, you know, 
when, when an act of violence uh, it arouses anger in a community, uh, first of all, it's nice to know that, yeah, the New Black Panthers are going to put out a bounty on people's head because that always helps things. And then here comes these neo-Nazis bringing the guns and saying, oh, boy, here we go. Uh, yeah, I, I, oh, boy. Meanwhile, uh, elsewhere, there was a police cruiser in Sanford, the neighborhood where Trayvon Martin got shot. Uh, the police vehicle was shot several times. This is according to an ABC article, uh, news piece. Uh, six shots were fired into an empty police cruiser early today in the Florida neighborhood where black teenager Trayvon Martin was shot and killed as the mayor warned that the town has become a kindling box. <sighs> so, um, yeah, that makes me nervous. Um, I, you know, I have faith that cooler heads will prevail, and this is an unsettling development. But I will say this, uh, and the article says, before I get to my boring commentary, blah, 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 uh, you know, there were other things that have happened around the country recently. Oh, yeah, the Reverend Terry Jones. That's an interesting thing. He was a, you may know him as the controversial, this is from the ABC article, the controversial pastor who once threatened to burn copies of the Quran announced last week his plan to hold a rally on April 21st at the Seminole County Courthouse in support of Zimmerman and his constitutional rights. Now, I support Mr. Zimmerman's constitutional rights as much as anybody, and I think that people are innocent until proven guilty and that, you know, we shouldn't jump to judgment and, you know, start condemning him the way we've condemned, some people have condemned Trayvon Martin for, you know, having been, what, suspended from school for possession of marijuana or whatever. I I would say that, of course, constitutional rights make a lot of sense. We should obviously honor his constitutional rights. But that doesn't change the fact that the police department screwed up and Zimmerman should be in jail. And that's what people are angry about. Now, I w uh, here's what I will say. Cause, uh, the other thing I wanted to say was that there was some Ohio University where, and I don't have the article apparently in front of me, but there was this Ohio University where uh, there was a cultural center on the university campus, and on one of the walls someone wrote, Long Live Zimmerman. And I think that obviously a lot of the tension here isn't just about Trayvon Martin. It has to do with the anger that a lot of black folks and Latino folks and other people in poor and, you know, uh, concentrated pockets of frustration, uh, a lot of those people in those communities are, are angry about, a, you know, this this police brutality of which George Zimmerman is just currently the public face. It's a thing that goes on and on and on. It's not as though this is some new thing. And it's not as though the the dots can't be connected between Trayvon Martin and, uh, you know, other individuals who have been victims of police brutality. And, you know, Amadou Diallo wasn't so long ago when I was living in uh, Sarasota, Florida, there was an incident in St. Petersburg where a kid named Tyron Lewis was in a car, and there was a cop in front of the car, and they wanted him to get out, et cetera, et cetera. He sort of moved the car forward a little bit, and they freaked out, and they shot him to death. And th this sort of thing, unfortunately, happens way too often, and there's almost never any meaningful accountability for the police officers or the security personnel who are involved. And this is another case where people see someone who's not black shooting a young black man to death and the person doesn't have a weapon and people are outraged and they should be outraged. We are right to be outraged about this sort of thing. Now, it's hard to balance the outrage with keeping yourself sane, especially when you are you know, nervous that this is not going to result in jail time for Zimmerman, because that would be a horrible miscarriage of justice. But if being a decent person means anything, it means being able to pull yourself back from that rage, just as Zimmerman should have pulled himself back from his fear and say, wait a minute, I don't want to do anything stupid. Let me make sure I think about what I'm doing. This is that mindfulness thing that Zen Buddhism is always talking about. You have to be in the moment. You can't let your emotions run away. You can't let your anger run away. You can't let your fear run away. So, everybody, calm the, the heck down in Sanford. Neo-Nazis, go away. You're not helping anything. New Black Panther Party, I don't blame you for being mad, and I don't even blame you for going to Sanford and having a presence and saying, look, we're angry and we're ticked off and we're not going to take it. But putting out a bounty on the dude's head is just stupid. Stop it. Since I know a lot of the New Black Panther Party probably listens to this show, you know, like on The Simpsons when Marge is like, homie, you know, you are a member of a very exclusive club. And he goes, oh, you mean the Black Panthers?
She goes, no, I meant the Simpson family. This is when he was mad about being kicked out of the stonecutters after they changed their name to the Ancient and Honorable Order of No Homers. Can I join? Sorry, no homers. <laughs> you let Homer Glovnik in. All right, moving on. <laughs> I'm never getting through this. There were a bunch of recent earthquakes that were almost certainly man-made, uh, according to the Environmental Working Group. Uh, there was a U.S. geological survey, and they did a research team that linked oil and natural gas drilling to operations to a series of recent earthquakes from Alabama to the Northern Rockies. So this whole fracking thing and all the drilling for oil, it's causing earthquakes. Who would have thought? What a crazy idea. You mean if we go pummeling the ground with jackhammers and injecting weird chemicals into the earth... The Earth will be upset? No, you're crazy Gaia hypothesis people. You're so adorable. The Earth is one living organism made up of emergent properties of all the different natural systems that work together. You're so stupid. Look, it's very simple. We drill into the Earth and we drink the oil. No, wait, we don't drink it, but we put it in buckets and then we pour that into our big machines. We drive them around everywhere because we don't have a sensible transportation policy. We just have the ridiculous remnants of World War II uh, uh, boondocks that say, let's just build interstates everywhere. And don't get me wrong, I love the interstate system, blah, blah, blah. But I would love even more to be able to get on a freaking train in Madison and go down to Florida on the train. Doesn't that make more sense? Wouldn't it be more fuel efficient? Yes! Scott Walker, why'd you cancel the train, you stupid jerk? Anyway, um... Let's talk about something a little more upbeat, okay? Afghanistan! Yay! Oh, it's so interesting. Why isn't this article loading? All right, uh, there was a really interesting uh, story on um, the, the Al Jazeera about, it's called Robot Wars, and I linked it on the blog. You should go check it out, and uh, I have something to say about it a little later on. Anyway, the the news from Afghanistan I saw this week was from the Washington Post, uh, and it, the headline is, Afghanistan sees rise in dancing boys' Explo- exploitation. Um, and it talks about a growing number of Afghan children are being coerced into a life of sexual abuse, the practice of wealthy or prominent Afghans exploiting underage boys as sexual partners who are often dressed up as women to dance at gatherings is on the rise in post-Taliban Afghanistan, according to Afghan human rights researchers, Western officials, and men who participate in the abuse. Like it or not, said D. Brillenberg Worth, a child protection expert at the UN mission in Afghanistan, who has sought to persuade the government to address the problem, like it or not, there was better rule of law under the Taliban. They saw it as a sin. They stopped a lot of it. And I'm not obviously going to argue that the Taliban is better than this. And I should also point out that there's a lot of sexual abuse, presumably, that goes on in Afghanistan, despite the fact that that doesn't become news because we sort of expect it as part of what goes on in Afghanistan. And so we might critique the the differentiation here when it's boys in in being abused and raped and so forth and exploited uh it's it's a different matter and it it is a slightly different matter of course but it makes the suffering of girls and women in afghanistan no less poignant um so i don't know i was disturbed by that i don't really have anything to say about it i think we should get out of afghanistan blah 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 let's talk about iran uh the the this whole showdown um it it's saber rattling and i hope it's just saber rattling because it's an election and blah 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 i keep hearing interview after interview with people who say we should not go to war with iran it's a bad idea and i believe it's a bad idea i mean you know i don't want iran to have a nuclear weapon but i don't want israel to have nuclear weapons either and there was a guy on moyers and company i think or maybe it was tavis smiley who uh he was a retired u.s military you know uh, uh, soldier, I don't know what rank he was. I won't try to guess. Anyway, he said he has this organization talking about, um, you know, we should disarm and get rid of all nuclear weapons and so forth and so on. He told the story about Gandhi, who said there was some woman who went to Gandhi and said, "Hey, uh, tell my kid not to eat sugar because he's being, you know, overdoing it with the sugar." And so Gandhi said, "Come back in three days and I'll tell your kid." She comes back three days later. So Gandhi tells the kid, "Stop eating sugar." She says, "Why can't you just said that when I was here the first time?" And he said, "I needed to stop eating sugar." The point being, of course, that if if the United States is going to tell the world you need to get rid of your nuclear weapons, well, we should get rid of our nuclear weapons then, shouldn't we? I mean, we have to have one standard. And the whole thing is, oh, we're sane and they're crazy, but we're the only ones who've ever used them, right? 
whatever. Anyway, uh, there's been a new proposal. Uh, this is from an Associated Press article uh, from yesterday, the 9th of April. Uh, Iran is signaling a possible compromise after heading into critical talks with world powers deeply suspicious of its nuclear program, offering to scale back uranium enrichment but not abandon the ability to make nuclear fuel. And uh, the point that it made is... Um, trying to find it here. Hang on, man. Why don't you highlight it? I'm busy. I don't have time to highlight everything. And everything's slow. And everything's annoying. Blah! Um, the point is that there's a certain level that needs to be refined, uh, enriched, in order to make nuclear weapons. And, and they're saying, we'll keep it at this lower level, which will keep, make it very hard for us to, you know, keep going to our nuclear level, um, uranium and i don't know the details about how you make nuclear weapons and stuff so i'm not going to pretend to know that sort of thing but i i i feel like and and some people are going to say okay this is just iran trying to stall for time and trying to get everybody off their back and all the rest of it but i think it's the wrong-headed approach uh to say this one country you can't have them and we're definitely and besides as the guy on either tavis or moyers and company was saying it our whole thing has always been nuclear weapons are a deterrent that's why we made so many during the Cold War. Well, if that's the theory, if that's true, why wouldn't Iran want a nuclear weapon? And Iran, Israel created its nuclear weapons because it wants a deterrent. So what's deterring Israel? I just think it's all very messy. Uh, one last thing in the current events folder, and it has to do with this guy named Kim.com. If you don't know about Kim.com, you should totally look him up because he's fascinating. He's the guy who ran Mega Upload, and uh, he was arrested a while back. And apparently the news this week is that the the raid on his mansion, if you don't know, when they went to arrest this guy, and he was like, he loved to live it up. He was this kind of big guy, but he was always filming himself on yachts with like naked supermodels, and he's out in international waters, and he's like, Woo, living it up. And he was like, I'm making millions, suckers. And then the police were like, oh, he, he was living in New Zealand. And the police said at one point, you're doing some illegal things. We're going to bring you to prison. And he he locked himself in his safe room. And he was like clutching his money and stuff. He's like, no, no, let me keep my money. Um, so, I mean, you know, he's, he's the poster child, I think, for online piracy. Because... Uh, he's not, you know, the, the, the Omeol had a funny article, a cartoon where the dude's trying to explain how hard it is for him sometimes to get a show he wants to watch, and so he's like, ah, whatever, I'll just pirate it. Now, I don't think pirating is okay, and it, you know, whatever. There's questions, and there's a lot of things about, oh, is it taking money away from a company? Well, not necessarily, because that assumes that I would buy it if I couldn't pirate it, but that's not necessarily the case. Maybe I just wouldn't bother. So, whatever. Anyway, the point is that this guy, Kim.com, it was sort of a, is, I suppose, sort of a, a living example of the ex excessive uh, belief that, oh, I'm beyond the law, and I have a team of lawyers, and they looked it over, and I should be fine. And uh, and then cut to him in his safe room, and they're, like, cutting the door away. And he's like, no, no! It's it's that, like, whole attachment to material thing. He's like, I have to have my yachts and my naked supermodels. Well, you ain't going to have access to them in prison, unfortunately. So, uh, I don't know. Good luck to you, Kim.com. I'll be watching your story. All right, let's talk about some economic stuff. There was an article on NPR recently about the secret to Germany's low youth unemployment. And the gist of it is that, uh, that well, you know, it says uh, one-third of the way through, it's talking about this kid who's going through this uh, apprentice program. It says one-third of the way through his three-and-a-half years of training at Lufthansa, I'm probably saying that wrong, Lufthansa, technical headquarters in Hamburg, Dittmar is honing the skills required to become an aircraft mechanic and all but guaranteeing himself a job. So if you're willing to put in this time as an apprentice, and you'll get a job with this company and it's this way for the companies to invest in the future workers rather than just saying to the universities as we do in the United States you better get us kids who know what they're doing and then you know we'll train them for two weeks and then whatever it, it just again it's one of those signals of how other countries seem to think about the future of their workforce whereas most companies in the United States seem to have an attitude of we don't need to invest in these workers we just need to squeeze as much out of them as we possibly can before we kick them to the curb because a robot has come along or we have found some third world worker who will do it cheaper 
And Hajun Chang, I'm, I know everyone's sick of me talking about him, but I don't care. I have things to say about the man. He's awesome. He pointed out that that shooting yourself in the foot as a corporation, because then you don't have any loyalty from the customers. If you expect the worst, you're going to get the worst, and you're you're focused on your short-term bottom line. And meanwhile, your the health of your company over the long term is completely avoided. And he pointed out that this is you know one of the things that people said shareholders might be a bad idea when they first started coming out because the idea was that they're only going to function in their own short-term self-interest and they're not going to take a long-term view of the company, which I think is true in a lot of companies. All right, moving on. Um, the 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 plutonomy uh, memos, the Citigroup thing. If you saw Michael Moore's movie Capitalism, A Love Story, then you heard about this because Citigroup, this huge, enormous, multinational banking uh, monster, I don't even know what you call it, uh, monolith, there's a good word for Citigroup, they put out a memo at one point, and, uh, and here we go, this is in the article, this, this website called politicalgates.blogspot.com, who knows, but it seems, it's a very well-written piece about these memos. Uh, in 2005 and 2006, several analysts at Citigroup took a very, very close look at the economic inequalities within the USA and other countries, and wrote two memos which were addressed to their very wealthy customers. If there is one group of people who need to know the truth about what is really going on within the society and the economy, minus the propaganda, it's business people who have a lot of money to invest and who want to invest wisely. So Citigroup did their duty and published two explosive memos which should have become mainstream news but eventually did not but michael moore did cover it so if you watch his documentary film capitalism love story which is a good movie it's not perfect he starts off talking about the system and then he sort of veers off into talking about the 2008 financial crisis and he never makes it clear that the crisis was a natural outgrowth of capitalism instead he seems to be indicating that we had a very good managed form of capitalism in the 1950s, uh, but he does allow that it was because in some ways we were building our industrial muscle uh, on the back of a crushed Japanese industrial sector and a crushed German industrial sector. So whatever. Uh, it's a complicated film, but he talks about these plutonomy memos and Citigroup basically said, you know, we are seeing the establishment of a plutonomy. It is a way, is a method of ruling by the wealthiest people in the country. And this is something that they were quite honest about in these memos. And this website has a whole lot of stuff about, you know, all these things. And, and it says, uh, plutonomies have occurred before in 16th century Spain and 17th century Holland, the Gilded Age and the Roaring Twenties in the U.S. Uh, and then it looks at, you know, what are the common things. The world is dividing into two blocks. The plutonomies where wealth growth is powered by and largely consumed by the wealthy few and the rest. And of course, as somebody involved in a democracy who likes to think he has some way, uh, some voice in how the country is run, I say, not okay. People need to be in charge, not rich 1%. Ah! Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, there's been news from the high-speed trading front. Uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, is going to investigate ties to high-speed traders. Uh, U.S. security regulators are conducting a wide-ranging investigation into the complex relationships between rapid-fire trading firms and stock exchanges, according to the official overseeing some 20 probes into computerized trading. The inquiry into ownership and other ties is part of a broader probe into whether high-speed traders have unfair advantages over other investors, according to people familiar with the matter. So, unfortunately, this is one of the two ways we could be investigating high-speed trading. On the one hand, are they getting an unfair advantage? Are they getting access to information that regular traders don't have, et cetera, et cetera? And that's a concern. There's no question about it. I don't really, I'm not too worried about that because obviously if you have computers jacked directly into the network on one firm and then this other firm has humans sorting through the data, yeah, the computers jacked right in are going to have faster access. Duh. But my concern has more to do with these circuit breakers and the potential for the flash crashes and all the things that can happen when the computers are sort of left to do things on their own. And the autonomy of robots in the stock market is it's nerve-wracking because, look, I'm not saying they're going to destroy all humanity and we're facing a guaranteed apocalypse because robots are trading on the stock market. What I am saying is we need to have a kill switch. We need to be able to turn them off. We need to be able to regulate them. And I take the point from the Matrix loaded where the old dude is talking to Neo and he's like, you see those machines down there? They have something to do with our water supply. I have no idea how they work. I'm just glad that they're doing it because that means I have water to drink. And Neo says, well, we could turn them off. And he's like, yeah, but then we'd have to go without water. And he's like, eh, yeah, that's a good point. 
And, and, and I believe that we're probably going to reach a point where we are dependent on machinery in that way, if we aren't already. I mean, what would you do if the internet went down tomorrow? My internet goes down for 20 minutes. I'm losing my mind. I'm, Come on, what's wrong? I need to have my internet. Reddit needs me. It's very silly. But we have to be able to say, this is what the robots can't do. And, I mean, you know, Isaac Asimov wrote about all this stuff 100 years ago. It's all about, not literally 100 years ago, It's all, but it's all about, you know, how, how and why will robots be allowed to hurt people? And how, will they be allow, how and why will they be allowed to hurt each other? And how will the robots confront that question? And, you know, if we were to say to the robots, oh, on the stock market, only trade in a way that will help companies and the economy. Well, that's vague. How do we do that? I don't know, but I'm nervous because nobody seems to mind that so far it's mostly been just, oh, robots, do whatever you want, and we'll just hope for the best. That's not a policy for dealing with the stock market. All right, moving on. Um, CNN had an article uh, recently about, well, the headline was, Austerity Drives Up Suicide Rate in Debt-Ridden Greece. And, uh, yeah, it's about this guy named Apostolos Polyzonis, and his bank refused to see him last September. The 55-year-old Greek businessman had just 10 euros in his pocket. Out of work and bankrupt, he thought all he could do with his remaining money was to buy a gas can. Desperate and angry, he stood outside the bank in central Thessaloniki in northern Greece, doused himself in fuel, and surrendered to the flames. Quote, At that moment, I saw my life as worthless. I didn't really care if I was going to live or die, recalls Polyzonis, who says he was hit by financial troubles after the bank recalled a loan given to him for his business. And and he survived, obviously. He was eventually saved by police. He recovered after spending seven days in hospital on life support. But this is obviously a worrying thing. Now, I don't really know much about the Greek economic crisis. I don't feel qualified to comment in any meaningful way and say, like, well, here's what's really going on in Greece. I will say that there was a prisoner who committed suicide in Athens' main square. Uh, he, um, da -da 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 -da, Thursday, so yeah, last week. Uh, and he... You know, it's the headline from the Christian Science Monitor is Athens suicide, a cry from dignity for for dignity from the downtrodden. The pensioner who committed suicide in Athens' main square said it was his only dignified option before pension cuts forced him to forage for food in the trash. And uh, meanwhile, I remember that there was a few years ago there was a World Bank or IMF meeting in Mexico, and there was a South Korean farmer who went there and stabbed himself to death because he made a statement about how I have no way to feed my family. Being a farmer is who I am, and if I can't do it, and it has to do with the policies of the International Monetary Fund, I believe it was the IMF uh, that he was protesting. Uh, the, this is all I have left. And I think that it's a very serious wake-up call in the same way that that Buddhist monk setting himself on fire during the Vietnam War was. It's a wake-up call to those of us who think that, oh, you know, whatever, it's just a you know bailout, austerity, who cares? It matters. People get hurt by this stuff, yeah? And people have to suffer and go without. And it, it's frustrating to me when people have to suffer and go without, but... Sometimes I understand there's just no money. Okay, I, that case could be made in some places. But when I look around at the obscene amounts of wealth and luxury and abundance and the things people spend money on in the United States and elsewhere in the wealthy world, I, I, it just baffles me. And then people say there's no money for these, you know, old people have to go digging in the trash? No, I'm sorry. I say not okay. I wrote something to Reddit and I never got any responses. So that was just annoying. And here's what I think. Here's what I wrote. People talking about Greece's crisis seem to fall entirely and exclusively into one of two camps. On the one hand, people say, Greece is a ludicrous example of a bloated public sector and revenue inefficiency. No one pays taxes. Everyone collects handouts. So therefore, the Greek economy is doomed to implode. And since people won't change, well, it should implode. The other point of view says, and this is from leftist sources a lot of times, Greece is yet another victim of the man bringing down his wicked hammer of unjust austerity against the noble working classes which are suffering mightily despite their efforts to improve their nation through the glory of hard work. People in Group 1 never admit that hardworking poor middle class people in Greece will are suffering profoundly because of the austerity measures, nor do they ever question the legitimacy or wisdom of those measures. On the other hand, people in Group 2 never speak of the pretty remarkable forms of bloated 
public finance. I'm quite sure that the truth lies, as always, in the middle, and given the tendencies of transnational capital and its mechanisms of power, like the IMF and World Trade Organization, I suspect it's closer to Group 2. I'm probably in Group 2 myself. Still, I've seen many examples of the former, the bloated public sector and the, the crazy ways in which people sort of expect, oh, I'm not going to work, whatever. Uh, and even I, a Chomsky-loving Hajun Chang reading leftist radical, have sighed and said, that's ah, just silly when hearing about them. So I was hoping somebody could shed some light on that. But like I say, I got no responses, so I, I don't really know what I have to say about that. But uh, it's messed up. And, and if nothing else, then the suicides, as I say, are a sign of desperation, and that makes me very uncomfortable. All right, two more things to talk about. Speaking of people hurting themselves because of money. There's a story last week about a Chinese teen who sold his kidney to buy an iPhone and an iPad. Now that's horrible. That makes me wonder, like, how are they marketing this stuff? And and in what way does Apple's insistence, you know, it's 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 intense bombardment of young people, especially with you gotta have this new device, you gotta have this new device, combined with a Chinese uh collective from what i understand i've never been to china i really shouldn't speak about chinese culture but from what i understand there's a sense of a sort of collective identity type of thing if you don't fit in you're an outcast outcasts often get arrested taken to prison whatever uh and and how do those two things sort of combine to make this fanaticism got to get this thing uh, anyway, uh, the headline, the article says, authorities have indicted five people in central China for involvement in illegal organ, organ trading after a teenager sold one of his kidneys to buy an iPhone and an iPad. The case has prompted an outpouring of concern that not enough is being done to guard against the negative impact of increasing consumerism in Chinese society, particularly among young people who have grown up with more creature comforts than the generations before them. So, yeah, very concerning and... Uh, I don't know. If it's not news about how horrible the conditions are for workers making the iPods, then the thing is the dude's mutilating himself to get an iPod. Give it up. Look, people, I mean, it's easy for me to say, I guess. I have an iPod, and I love it. And, I, you know, okay, whatever. This kid isn't wrong for wanting an iPod because it's a pretty cool device. But what the heck, man? Like, that's that's not right. Ah, I don't know. Maybe iPod should be free. That's the answer. Everybody gets an iPod. All right, uh, one last thing in economics. This is from Forbes.com. I never thought I'd be quoting Forbes magazine, but hey, what do you know? Uh, anyway, this is uh, from a guy named Peter Cohan, and he said uh, the headline is Overpaying at the Pump Boost Speculator Margin Requirements. And his whole point is it's not about uh, supply and demand. He says it's not the actual supply and demand that matters. It's expectations of how that supply and demand will change that really moves the price of oil. And there is some truth to that because I discovered years ago that the price of oil is not controlled by those who consume supply and consume oil. Instead, it's speculators who produce no oil and use none who actually control the price. And then he goes on to explain that in 1999, Senator Ten uh, Texas Senator Phil Graham pushed through a change to regulate enforced by the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. Remember them? Brooksley born? Uh-huh. Saw it all coming? That limited the extent to which speculators could trade oil futures. Such futures allow producers to fix the price at which they would sell oil at a specific point in the future and let oil consumers, such as refiners, to fix the price at which they will buy crude in the future. But once that regulation was changed, there was virtually no limit to how many futures contracts the speculators could trade, especially given their ability to borrow money to boost the returns they could make on their bets. This is all gambling, people. It's like the collateralized debt obligations. These are the things that they come up with the algorithms for in order to say, I'm going to make money on betting on this. And it's, you know, I, I, I hear from some economists that it serves an important purpose, but there's no question that a lot of speculators take it way too far and they're, they're doing it to line their own pockets and it's nothing to do with market uh, checks and balances. Instead, it's about, I'm going to get paid. And it's all about... You know, so the point I want to make though is, if it's true that this guy, as he says, is that it's speculators who really control the price of oil, then I don't want to hear nothing about drilling in the tar sands of Canada or the African Alaskan National Refuge in order to get more oil because oh, we need it. Gas prices keep going up. Uh uh, apparently not. So that's just messed up. I don't want to hear it. Okay, we need to move on because I'm out of economic stuff and I'm running out of time and I'm really tired. So let's move on to education. <laughs> Let's go.
There's a really interesting article in the New York Times recently called Found to Have Misbehaved but Still Teaching in New York City. And I encourage you to read the whole thing. It's kind of long. It's a, it's, a, it's a good article. It's well written. And it's very balanced. And the whole point is that in New York City, they, when a teacher's when somebody, when an administrator wants to hire a, a fire a teacher, they need to go to an arbitrator. The union has established this middle person, an arbitrator, who's going to decide, you can make a call on whether the person should be fired or not. And the article talks about some cases where teachers are, you know, possibly uh, harassing students, sometimes in a sexual way, uh, sometimes making comments that are inappropriate, and so forth and so on. Uh, sometimes they don't get fired. And that's obviously messed up. I, I think. Well, and okay. So the point that the arbitrator makes, or the one of the people in the case, I suppose it maybe have been a, like a scholar, a former union lawyer, is quoted here, a guy named James R. Sandner, and he says that the, the, it's not always the case that when somebody does something wrong, we need to immediately fire them. Which is, I think, how a lot of people think about this sort of thing. And, and I, I certainly want to see people who do horrible things like harassing students, especially if it's sexual harassment of students, I think that person should be fired. If it's sexual harassment of a student, I think you should be fired. Um, but the point that some people make is that in some other cases, uh, especially where the evidence isn't clear cut, it, it it makes more sense maybe to punish the person in some other way and then you know hope that there's no not hope but you know assume that the the punishment even though it's not actual termination will send the message this is not okay and this is your you know one warning or whatever it is and then the next time you'll get fired um and and in other cases you know it's possible that someone's wrong or you know it's possible that an administrator will just want to fire someone for a capricious reason uh you know this is why unions begin in the first place and i think it's good to have somebody sort of in that process saying wait a minute let's look at what actually happened and uh now again i i won't say that there probably you know there probably are some teachers who have crossed the line and i think probably should be fired uh but the question is are you going to are you going to have a system that sometimes protects people who shouldn't be protected or are you going to have a system that doesn't protect people who deserve protection and i'd say that second system where people who deserve protection don't get the protection they need that's a much bigger threat uh to a decent society than a system that overprotects people but again i'm not comfortable to say you know oh it's overprotecting some people that's okay whatever that's just the way it is no that's not okay and i i want to see you know real justice for people who do messed up stuff um, but I'm just not saying that abolishing this arbitrator or getting rid of the union, that's not an answer. Because that's like saying, oh, some people don't get sent to prison even though they should because the justice system doesn't work in that case. Well, we should just get rid of judges. Well, no, I'm sorry. I'm not in favor of the Ed 209. We need a human in the mix. All right, let's talk about killer robots and some other stuff. Want to kill all humans? Hey, let's kill all humans. All right. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I don't know if I talked about the sound bites. I did. I talked about sound bites last year. Last year. It must be late on a school night. Um, I talked about the sound clips last week, and they're a new thing. I'm still working with them, trying to fine tune stuff. Thanks to people who've given feedback. Whatever. Um, there was an article sent to me by Jason Gallagher, who uh, t it was in the BBC Future section, the Paleo Futurist, and it's a very interesting piece by Matt Novak talking about the robot history, the rise of the drone, and he says. Um, Lurid pictures from the last 100 years show the idea of military drones and removing humans from the battlefield has a long history. And uh, so he talks about some of these pieces, these exhibits that talked about, you know, this futuristic vision of flying robots and stuff. And guess what? That's where we're at now. And uh, they have a uh, magazine image from the cover of Electro Electrical Experimenter showing the automatic soldier. And uh, it looks a lot like the turrets in Portal 2 because it's got the cutaway thing. So we often see the cutaway of the turrets in Portal. Uh, I just thought that was kind of funny. So thanks, Jason G. I'll put a link on the website. It's a very interesting article. Check it out. This is obviously something that a lot of people have predicted for a long time. And as I said, this show on Al Jazeera, Fault Lines, Robot Wars, you've got to watch it. It's fascinating. They have an interview with this guy named P.W. Singer, who is the, sort of the expert on uh, robot technology in the military. And as the point that they make is, and this is a point someone else made, I think, I probably referenced it on a previous syncast, there's no question that it, sending a robot into a military conflict is uh, a new thing, and it means that fewer 
American soldiers will be killed. There's no question about that. So robots diffusing IEDs in the streets of Afghanistan and Baghdad, uh, I'd rather have a robot do it than a human. But the, my biggest concern, I have several, but my biggest concern is, well, what does that mean for how little we will care about whether we send the robots or not? Uh, most people in the U.S. aren't in favor of sending human soldiers out to war, but we'll probably be much more willing to send robot soldiers out to war. And one of the persons interviewed in the Fault Lines show said, well, what's it going to look like when robots are fighting robots on the battlefield of the future? I'm not really as concerned about that as I am about what's going to look like when it's robots fighting humans, because people in Pakistan aren't going to be developing robot armies anytime soon, I don't think, It'll pro especially the places we send the robots to, uh, it, and that's what's happening with the drones, you know? Uh, and I think there's sort of a question about justice and fairness uh, in war, and I know it's weird to talk about fairness in war, but as Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant pointed out on one of their podcasts, uh, or one of the guides to, I think, they're talking about a lot of people in England, when the crossbow first came out, they said it would, they wouldn't use it because it was ungentlemanly and it was uncouth and all this stuff and it wasn't fair to use a crossbow. It was too easy. So uh, I, I don't necessarily think that you have to be, I mean, you know, obviously the team that's fighting wants to win. And so any advantage you can get is, you know, considered a good one. But uh, I, I think that, you know, we've seen movies where there are robots going to other planets and, you know, enslaving humans or whatever. And we always think, oh, you know, if there's a human controlling that robot, get out and fight the person eye to eye, right? It was so messed up at the end of Avatar when that dude was in the big walking robot and like smashing the dudes like trying to use tree branches to kill him and stuff. Uh, that may not have been exactly how it went, but I don't know. I think there's something messed up there. So anyway, there was another article in on MSNBC talking about military wants humanoid robots in the driver's seat. Uh, new job demands include steering a vehicle and climbing a ladder. Uh, a U.S. military agency once focused on self-driving robot cars has turned its attention to humanoid robots that could roam tomorrow's battlefields. An upcoming announcement suggests that the military wants robots that can steer a vehicle from the driver's seat, use a key to open a locked door, climb a ladder, and perform handyman repairs, as well as strangle human beings and suck out their eyeballs. Oh wait, that last bit isn't actually in the article. I, I think I may be speculating there. But it's a short step, man. Once they have a key they can use to open a door, what's to keep them from using that key? Like, oh, I thought this human's nose was a lock. Ah, I seem to be jamming the key further into their nose. It, man, Skynet's coming. Let me tell you what. The robots must also have the brains to carry out their jobs with only loose supervision from humans based on the unofficial leak of the new grand challenge for humanoid robots posted by DARPA. I've talked about them before. Uh, so yeah, get ready for that. Meanwhile, robot copters, this is also from MSNBC, robot copters will be used to automatically spot pirates. Drones used to catch smugglers will get upgraded with 3D laser imaging. Um, helicopter drones that have already helped catch cocaine smugglers at sea could soon get much smarter about hunting modern-day pirates. The U.S. Navy plans to upgrade its robotic fire scouts with electronic brains, quote-unquote, that are able to automatically recognize small pirate boats spotted through a 3D laser imaging. Heaven help the person that goes out fishing in the sea, and it's like, oh, it's a pirate! Shoot him! It's a pirate! Shoot him now! Shoot him! It's like, wait, I'm just an old man fishing, and I've got this great big fish, and Ernest Hemingway will someday write a novel about me! That won't actually be a novel. That'll be a stupid short story that everyone calls a novel. No! It really will be a novel! I hate Ernest Hemingway. Ian Schultz said he's the most overrated writer who ever lived. And you know what the weird thing is? Uh, I keep reading quotes from him about writing that make a lot of sense to me. He said, uh, write one true sentence. And then write another true sentence. And it's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I like the simplicity of that. That's sort of Steinbeckian almost. Now, Ernest Hemingway was no John Steinbeck. But Hemingway also said, um, writing is the hardest thing I've ever done, so I do it. And I like that. I think that's a good way to think about it. All right, let's move on. Uh, virtual Pizza I mentioned, but I'll talk about it again because it's awesome. People should totally check out Virtual Pizza. Uh, it's Phil Olson, and he's doing a really good job. And I don't know if the second issue episode is out yet, but if it is, you should check it out. And if it's not on iTunes, it should be. My guess is that it will be soon. Uh, yeah, from what I can tell, episode two is not out yet, but presumably it's a coming Meanwhile, uh, I found a really cool website called relaux.com, R-E-L-A-U-X.com, and it's just filled with all these playlists of like really soothing music, and I know they got uh, Bonobo on here, and Bonobo's great for relaxing, so presumably the other stuff as well is good as well. Let's listen, shall we? What's this? 
Rad Talkin, Galimatias, and Linky. Play. Why aren't you playing music? There we go. Yeah, sounds pretty good. Okay, <laughs> let's move right along, shall we? Uh, yeah, oh, one last thing about killer robots. I'll say I'm adamantly opposed to the secret U.S. drone program run by the CIA. We have no idea who's being targeted or why, who's been killed by those drones, etc., etc. In fact, I pulled up a quote from, or a, a sample from that Al Jazeera show about drone warfare called Robot Wars, and I want to play it because it really makes a good point about how many people we know about that have been killed by these drones, but there's probably a lot of people we don't know about. So here's the clip. There have been 308 drone strikes reported in Pakistan since 2004. 256 of those under President Obama. That figure could be far higher. Over 200 strikes hit the region of Waziristan alone. Roughly one attack every four days. Conservative estimates put the total number of deaths around 2,900. Of those, over 750 were civilians, including 175 children. And at least 1,100 people have been injured. And, and, and as always, when they say injured, this is true about U.S. soldiers too. They always come back, oh, two people were injured. That, to me, often used to conjure up images of like, oh, I got a bad cut. You know, I needed a stitch. I needed two stitches. A lot of times injured means limbs blown away or, or you know, people unable to walk ever again and stuff like that. You know, if you're not killed... uh you get classified as injured, but that that can mean a whole lot of different things. I'd like to see a general trend in the media where people start talking about seriously injured or, or you know injured in minor ways or whatever it is, uh, or maybe a different word. If somebody is you know crippled by an, uh, an injury or explosion, then maybe we can refer to it that way so that we don't have just killed and injured, but have a little more delineation to make make uh, us understand what kind of injuries are going on here. All right, anyway, um, yeah, so we should know about that. Uh, look, because we don't right now, and so far the U.S. government's mostly been saying, look, trust the CIA, they're doing the right thing, they're only killing people, they're only killing the bad guys. And what, we're supposed to trust the CIA? I'm sorry, if there's one part of the U.S. government that's never shown itself to be trustworthy, it's the CIA. Killing Hope by William Blum. Read that book if you want to know about what the CIA's been up to in the last hundred years. All right, uh, let's talk about some hip-hop. It's bigger than hip hop. God, I love that song. And if you haven't heard um, Salam Aces, uh, When the Smoke Clears, that's a great piece of lyricism that uses uh, the uh, that same bass line, the, the hip hop bass line. Uh, what they did it with um, the group that did the 9-11 remix. Um, Global News Network, I think that's good. Gorilla News Network, something, whatever. I'll post the link maybe if you're nice. I'll make a note. Post link. But the hip-hop I want to talk about is actually Diggable Planets because uh, I have some people I know who always talk about how I don't like hip-hop, hip-hop's stupid, hip-hop sucks, hip-hop is weak, blah, blah, blah. And I always say, maybe you haven't heard the right hip-hop. You know, there's lots of different kinds of hip-hop. Now, I know that a lot of times when we turn on the television and we listen to the radio and look on the internet, there's one kind of hip-hop that's being promoted as this is what hip-hop is. And it's all about guns, and it's all about money, and it's all about naked women, and it's all about material consumption, and smoking weed, and all that stuff. But you know what? There's lots of different kinds of hip-hop, okay? And there always has been. And unfortunately, there's a lot less in the mainstream media now, but there's probably more variety in the kinds of hip-hop we have because the internet has allowed for a diffusion of different styles. But, as I say, there always have been different styles of hip-hop, and one group that I always like to trot out when people say, I don't like hip-hop, if I ask if the person likes jazz, because if they do, there's a good chance they'll like Diggable Planets. Unfortunately, Diggable Planets only ever made two albums. Uh, it was composed of three people who called themselves after insects. They called themselves The Insects. Uh, one of them called himself Doodlebug, and then there was uh, Butterfly, and then there was Ladybug. And so uh, the woman, Ladybug Mecca, uh, she put out a solo album recently, and I think the other two guys have been doing solo things along the way, but I don't really know much about those things. But anyway, Diggable Planets, two albums. Uh, one was called Reach In, A New Refutation of Time and Space, and the other was called Blowout Comb. 
Uh, they're excellent albums. You should totally check them out. They're totally laid back. They got this awesome jazzy vibe, but uh, it's funky too, and they know how to you know write lyrics and recite stuff. So uh, yeah, let me give you a little bit of Ladybug on where I'm from. So yeah, check them out, Diggable Planets. If you're not familiar with them, you should totally go listen to Reachin' uh, and or Blowout Comb. I'd say Reachin' is the better album, but Blowout Comb has some pretty cool joints on it, so check that out as well. Uh, yeah, and I guess that's it. So let's talk about the quote of the week. Friends, Romans, countrymen, let me your ears. Stop repenting because the ending is near. But don't panic, you can't function if you live in a fear. Pay attention, you got to listen to hear. So we're doing uh, Tony Morrison in uh, the AP English class that I teach, and we're just starting The Bluest Eye, and i got to start reading that tonight. Uh, I mean, not reading it. Oh, God, I sound so angry. Uh, it's, it's one more thing, right? It's a great book. I've read it before. I love it. It's a really important book, and I look forward to reading it again, but I also look forward to not having anything else to do and getting to relax a little bit. Anyway, she said in her acceptance speech for the Nobel Prize for Literature, quote, Word work is sublime because it is generative. It makes meaning that secures our difference, our human difference, the way in which we are like no other life. We die. That may be the meaning of life. But we do language. That may be the measure of our lives. All right, that's it. Uh, show notes and links to everything in this week's podcast are on my blog, Didactic Synapse, fbesp.org slash synapse. My website is The Floating Brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, which is at fbesp.org with links to music that I've made and fiction I've written and multimedia and lots of other stuff. Shout-outs to Mike Chin, who loves to hear his name on this podcast. Mike Chin really enjoys when I say his name here, so I'd like to say hello to Mike Chin. Hello to Mike Chin. Thanks also to Antonio and everyone who's given such kind feedback about my latest track, GameFlex Zero. It's all about video games, so I only posted it on the Veteran Gamers. If you want to hear it, you can go there, veterangamers.co.uk. And thanks to everybody who's given such kind feedback about the Syncast and about the site and all sorts of other things. I really appreciate the fact that people are listening. So thank you for listening. Please get in touch if you have questions you want to ask me or feedback or news articles you find. Please send them my way. ESP at FBESP.org. I will stop talking now. Didactic Syncast is a production of the floating brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, which is solely responsible for its content. This program is a joint venture of Ribonucleic Records and Garrison Multimedia. Our show is made possible by a grant from the Fargus Foundation. Some restrictions may apply. See SOAR for details. Fight the power. So powerful.